0: The pay disparity between the men and women is is just too large, and and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought, and now it's our job to to keep on fighting. The pay cap for. The women's major league soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's major league soccer. 11 times.
1: You are listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello and welcome. This is episode 21 of Give and Go. I am your host, Rotas Bodera, and thank you so much for joining us. We are live from Los Angeles. Thank you so much again for listening to us for all the latest news, analysis, merchandise, everything related to women's soccer and the World Cup. Go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Check us out on Instagram. We've got a lot of great content at Girls Soccer Network. Twitter handle, at Girls Soccer Net. We have a Facebook page, YouTube channel, a lot of great stuff going on, including a bit with Yael Aberbuke as well. So she's doing a series with us one of the many things to become in a girls' soccer network, we're really excited to bring that to you. And of course, you can ask Siri to play this podcast whenever you want, so be sure to do that as well. We have so much to get to on episode 21. We have an interview with Caitlin Murray, one of the premier soccer journalists that we have out there, truly, truly one of the best. She's written pieces for The Guardian, The Athletic, and so many other. Uh, publications, One of the premier voices regarding women's soccer. So we have a conversation with her regarding her new book titled The National Team, as well as what she thinks about the current roster, how they're going to do. So we have all of that. We have one week of NWSL action to review as well. That'll be later on in the show. But of course, we have to start with the World Cup, which of course kicked off earlier this weekend. And we start with the hosts, France, who looked mighty impressive in their first matchup against South Korea. They straight up steamrolled the Koreans, who honestly could not get on the ball. Their number 10, who plays for Chelsea is a tremendous player, but she had little to no impact on the ball. Amandine Henry was the best player on the pitch. Wendy Renard won player of the match, but in terms of who impacted the game the most, probably Amandine Henry. Basically, all of the stars showed up for France in this one. You know, Amandine Henry set up Eugénie Le Sommer for the first goal. Wendy Renard scored twice after, one from a corner kick. You know, so she was just emphatic in the box with her presence. And then you have Henri who closed it out with a beautiful, beautiful curled finish. So, France ain't playing games, y'all. They are not messing around. Everyone was celebrating with each goal. The entire team was getting together. It seems like a very, very well-knit group here. So, this is going to be an interesting development. and, And the hosts, again as one of the favorites to win this competition, looked very, very impressive in their opener. Of course, that was the only game of the day. Then we moved to the weekend. The first the morning matchup was uh, Germany versus China. A very, very interesting contrast of styles. And China did what they hoped to do. The Steel Roses lived up to their nickname. For the first 60-plus minutes of that match, they defended incredibly, incredibly well. Came oh so close to taking the lead twice in the first half. Chances they probably should have taken, and we talk about this all the time. What really makes the difference between teams moving on and and, and going home is the is the ability to finish in, in in the final third, and that's where that added quality up front comes into play. And China just really some bad misses that they will absolutely regret because, again, Julia Gvin, the teenager, made him pay, recycled ball off the corner kick, well executed through a sea of players, went through the legs of one of the Chinese defenders. It was all Germany needed to get the three points and what will be an interesting group. So the Germans, it wasn't their best, and I think they know that, but they'll be happy with the points in a good matchup, and now they still have two tougher matchups with spain and and with south africa but for them to get the three points that's critical china still has a chance in this group as well obviously one nil does not leave them out by any means and we'll see if they can if they can do it to germany they can definitely do it to teams like spain and south africa of course that leads us to the next match of the day in group b spain versus south africa and what a match it was it seemed like it was going to be an upset for all for all upsets the South Africans, Banyana Banyana, looked great through the first 45 minutes. Yes, there were some gaps at the back, but in terms of offense on the counter, just a willingness to get forward and attack, attack, attack. We know what Tembi Catlana can do. We know what Janine Van Vyke and Linda Mothalo can do. They were all in the Houston Dash together. It was Mothalo who was able to get the ball over to Catlana right towards you know the end of the first half. Took one nice little Cut in on a right foot and then curled it over the keeper. I mean, what a moment for South Africa's first ever World Cup goal. Um, It really seemed like, based on the run of play, that they deserved to have that lead. And then, um, yeah, something that is going to be a very interesting talking point, I think, the rest of the World Cup. Maybe not a talking point, but the VAR decisions and how two of them are are the reason that um, Spain pretty much was able to get a lead back against South Africa before getting a third and final goal at the end of the game. But honestly, a bit harsh, a bit unlucky, because there are some aspects of this game where if it wasn't for VAR, yes, the, we got the calls right, but some of them seem kind of soft. There's some calls that would never get called during the course of a game. You look at it and you go, oh, well, technically, by the letter of the law, that's you know a penalty, and so it has to be given. And that happened again in the England-Scotland matchup, which we will get to shortly. But again, just tough, tough luck here for, for South Africa, who also had a player sent off on a challenge that, again, rightfully was. Her, her boot was high, no doubt about it. But what can you do if you're South Africa? That's a heartbreaker, a heartbreaker. Spain will be thrilled 3-1 atop the group. They can get ready for Germany. They can get ready for China. This group is brewing into something very, very interesting. Then, of course, to to round out Group A, Norway and Nigeria. Norway flat out dominated. Um, I think there were some people who kind of thought that the Nigerians could keep up with Norway. Oh boy, that was not the case at all. Nigeria was dangerous at times. Francisco Ortega had success down the right sideline in the first half. Asiat Oshoala almost scored in the second half, but Norway displayed so much more quality in the midfield and at the back. Caroline Graham Hansen was outstanding, just dribbling and dancing away from Nigerian defenders time and time again. And there's this other youngster, Groraiten, who looks like a fun, creative player who also just signed for Chelsea. So Norway, uh, there was a lot of talk, right, about Eddie Higerberg and, and her presence and or her lack thereof. And this team's been ready for this. It's been a full year. They've prepared for this moment. They are mentally ready without her. And it clearly showed in that first win in, in the manner in which they dominated. So credit to Norway for an impressive impressive win still not enough to go top of the group because france won by four goals to nil but norway still looked mighty impressive and that that matchup against france to to see who will be superior in the group is going to be obviously the marquee matchup now the latest day the current day of, of games a little bit earlier on so i don't know what time that's what makes this whole situation so tricky is the timing of it if you're on the west coast it's tough like, not sure how many people are gonna get up at at three a.m. to watch Italy versus Australia, even if you're on the East Coast at six a.m. So, was able to to at least get up for you know six six thirty Brazil Jamaica was up was up for that one without a doubt. But to wake up and see the score that the Italians had pulled off one of the first major real upsets of this tournament to beat Australia two one that speaks volumes about. The level of parity we're going to see and just the wrench that they threw into this group, the Italians, based on the results that unfolded. It's going to be a very interesting rest of the group because, again, the Aussies, quite simply, did not come prepared to play. They came out a little flat, it looked like, and despite getting the lead within the first 20 minutes through Sam Kerr, penalty that was initially saved, she tapped in. Gave a little homage to Tim Cahill with the punching of the corner flag celebration. That's an iconic celebration. But Aussie backline, the Matildas backline, has been giving them trouble. We've seen it time and time again, and that would come into play in this one against the Italians. And if you don't know the name Barbara Bonansea, you better... Now, plays for Juventus, two goals, the first one ever so optimistic, Alana Kennedy making a mistake, a heavy touch that she probably shouldn't be making in a tough area. And Bonanza made him pay, not once, but twice. And again, in the box, free kick, dead ball opportunity, there needs to be a greater sense of urgency for the Matildas. On the goal, you can see Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford, both with Bonanza and just unable to stop her from getting her head on it. And and Lydia Williams uncharacteristically making mistakes as well, just in no man's land. It made no sense. So a tough one to start the tournament for the Aussies, but they have are by no means out of it. They still have to beat Brazil, Jamaica. They can win both those games. Those are fully winnable games because of what brazil can do i mean i'm not fully convinced despite this jamaica performance i've said that in the past and so we'll see the aussies if they can handle their business and bounce back and win these two games it is not over yet but again we did say it we did say the italians would surprise some people do we not Those was what we said Told y'all, and and here it is. The Italians with three points in in the first game and an opportunity to pick up more against Jamaica, maybe even some against Brazil to secure their place. So that's going to be a very interesting rest of this group as to which teams are going to come out of here. Jamaica, a lot to be proud about, right? We move to Brazil versus Jamaica. The Brazilians were able to show their superiority for sure. Jamaica played well, still played well, especially in the first half. Like, it was more even than the score suggested. You know, Christian got a hat trick with No Marta in the lineup. I think that was the biggest thing. What could Jamaica potentially get out of this game with No Marta? But unfortunately, it didn't lead to much because Jamaica's manager made a genius move to, to switch goalkeepers. And the 19-year-old Sydney Schneider, who is a freshman, just wrapped up her freshman year, at UNC Wilmington is playing in a World Cup and was phenomenal in the first half, especially. Saved a penalty kick as well. What a moment for her. And, and you can imagine what that means to be a 19-year-old playing on one of the world's, you know, on the biggest stage in women's soccer. I mean, that's got to be a crazy moment. She was amazing. You know, Bunny Shaw created some opportunities. Chana Matthews was in the mix a little bit, but Jamaica unable to really do much. Christiane's hat-trick, though, was very well executed. A header was the first. A second was a shot that seemed to be cleared off the line, but then goal line technology confirmed. And then the third was an absolutely cracking free kick. So Christiane, at age 34, hinting that this could be her last World Cup as well. This was a nice moment for her in a spot where her team needed her. Brazil flexed their muscles in this one. They desperately needed this result. You cannot understate Brazil desperately, desperately needed this result because of their form. It was bad. We mentioned this on the last show. It was bad coming in to this World Cup. They had not won a game in a while. So to get off the schneid and and get this win over Jamaica is huge for this team moving forward as as they look to advance and go far in this tournament with Formica, of course. And we mentioned that as well. Seven World Cups still doing it out there. Unreal unreal stuff at age 40 plus just out there running around making an impact and just doing what she does best so that's an underrated aspect of this that she's still in the mix for brazil so when marta comes back we'll see what brazil can do moving forward and of course last but not least this was for sure the marquee matchup of the day England versus Scotland, what a matchup. And from the moment the first whistle started, Scotland did not back down one bit, went at England from the jump, pressured early on, but England kept their cool. Uh, Eventually, a goal did Go through VAR because, again, ball hit off the arm of the Scottish defender. You can't really do much all all about it. And so, again, that goal ended up being the difference because Nikita Paris buried it from the spot. You could see what it meant to her. It was 1-0 at the half. It was a pretty even match from both sides. England came out with far greater purpose in the second half. Had goals called back due to offside. Put some great early pressure, and then Ellen White would eventually find the breakthrough with a nice finish to make it 2 nil It seemed like the game was over, but of course, Scotland refusing to go away. Lisa Evans with a nice little through ball to Claire. Emsley, who went top shelf to get Scotland's first ever World Cup goal. Tough luck in an intense matchup that could have easily been a draw. You look at that VAR decision, again, rightfully called, but something that usually may or may not get missed during the course of a game. If you're England, you're one of the favorites coming into this tournament. You're Phil Neville. You'll take those three points. They handled their business against a tough, tough Scotland team. So can't wait to see how the rest of that group plays out. It's going to be a great rest of the group stages. By the time we get to our next episode, we will be at the knockout stages. So we'll have a knockout stage preview two weeks from now. But based on the way the group stages have gone through the first couple games, oh my god, this is going to be as close as it has ever been. If you think that the the way that it's going now is the way that it is going to continue to go, man, that's what makes this so incredibly fun and unpredictable Another team just may or may not show up on that day, perform the way that they can perform at their highest potential, and, and re- different results can happen that we might not expect. So we have a lot to look forward to. We expect the United States to be in the knockout stages two weeks from now, so we would hope that by then we'll have a clear view of what their path may or may not be going into the knockout stages. Now a word from our first sponsor, Striker Elite. Based out of Las Vegas, Nevada, Striker Elite develops confident, creative, and elite players in soccer and for life. After instructing players seeking to play at the highest level, Coach George Noworski quickly recognized the need for an environment that helped these players excel at a rapid pace. That's where the creation of an academy that would specialize in training soccer players was born. Focusing on player development, the curriculum at Striker Elite emphasizes technical skills, tactical awareness, mental toughness, character, leadership, and confidence. They currently have US Development Academy, ECNL, ODP, and college players at Striker Elite, as well as aspiring players seeking to play professionally. Striker Elite trainers are qualified and have extensive playing and coaching experience. Whether you're a club player looking to take your game to the next level and become a college or professional player, they will help you fulfill your goals. They provide elite one-on-one training, partner training, small group and team training, plus elite camps. For more information, go to www.strikerelitesoccer.com. Okay, we have a very special interview, as mentioned earlier, with Caitlin Murray. And uh, here it is, just talking about her book, the U.S. Women's National Team, and everything in between. Enjoy, guys. So, uh, Caitlin, you are one of the best, more well-respected soccer journalists out there. Where did your passion and love for soccer come from?
0: Well, like all women or girls growing up, I, of course, played soccer. Uh, I think it's hard to find a female in the United States that did not play soccer growing up. Um, And, I mean, that's really where it started, but I think My passion for the game is something I sort of rediscovered as an adult when I watched the U.S. Women's National Team. Um, The 2011 Women's World Cup, where, you know, Megan Rapinoe sends that cross into the box and Abby Wambach scores at the very last minute against Brazil. I mean, that was a game that I think for a lot of people watching, it sort of maybe changed how they felt about a team or about soccer, about World Cups, and um, that was just a moment that really really resonated with me, and still to this day, I can remember what it was like watching that, watching the U.S. beat Brazil when it sort of seemed like all the odds had been stacked against them. Um, So, soccer is always a game, you know, I gravitated towards. I don't actually follow any other sports. I'm just uh, kind of a one-sport woman, and, you know, soccer has always been that sport for me.
1: Now, you recently came out with and published a book titled The National Team, The Inside Story of the Women Who Changed Soccer. Tell us more about that book and your purpose for writing it.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you think about the U.S. women's national team, they are one of the most important sports teams, I think, in the world and in history. Certainly, there's no other women's sports team I can think of that has had the sort of success that the U.S. has had and the sort of impact that the U.S. has had. But there hasn't really been a book that kind of did justice to that and really told the team's full story and kind of helped us understand how the team came to be what it is today. So with the book, the idea was, you know, everyone has seen the games and, you know, we can all go on Wikipedia and, you know, learn things about the team but I really wanted to dig behind the scenes uh into the locker rooms into the boardrooms and kind of help understand how this team got to where it is and you know we watched the team win in 2015 uh you know huge crowds just utter dominance in that final against Japan and I think we kind of think that's how it's always been but I learned a lot in writing this book and, you know, what it was like in the 1980s and the 1990s before they won the 1999 Women's World Cup. I mean, these were players that sacrificed a lot. And that was a really interesting story to tell. And this book kind of tells the full history of the team from the beginning to now and the progression, how the team sort of changed over the years and changed the culture and the landscape of sports over the years.
1: And you talk about that change in culture, that, that change in landscape. Of of all the interviews and research that you did for this book, was there a particular player you enjoyed interviewing the most? Was there a particular moment that stood out to you during this whole process?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to pick one because everyone I spoke to was so um, just kind of forthcoming and um, helpful and helping tell the story. I would say, you know, Julie Foudy is a player that I think Today, we sort of know her as a commentator for ESPN and someone who is, you know, helping announce games or writing articles. Um, But when she was on the national team, she was doing so much behind the scenes that I don't think anyone knew about kind of organizing boycotts amongst the players. Um, You know, Julie Foudy and Mia Hamm sat in a conference room with the president of U.S. Soccer and sort of told him off and told him they were going to never play soccer again if the Federation didn't treat the players better. So learning that sort sort of stuff was just really fascinating. And, you know, I spoke to Julie Fowdy a few times, and she was really great. Um, and then kind of going more recent, um, Hope Solo is a player who, you know, she was a lightning rod and divisive at the time she was on the team. Now she's no longer on the team and she's sort of kind of transformed herself into an advocate for equal pay and, um, you know, issues like that. So getting to talk to her when she was kind of more willing to talk about some of the things that the current team has dealt with, uh, that was also really interesting. I wasn't sure if I would have the chance to talk to her. So I was really appreciative that she did take the time out and, Um, was very frank with me.
1: Now, you recently uh, had the opportunity to interview FIFA regarding um, the group tickets issue for people going to the World Cup. What were some of your major takeaways from getting the opportunity to speak with with them?
0: Well, speaking to FIFA is never easy. I'll just say that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, the sense that I got was that they did not initially understand the scope of the problem um, but I had so many people tweeting me and DMing me, telling me that they, you know, they bought tickets with their husband or their wife or with a group of friends. And it was so weird. In some of them, there was just like one seat behind, between them. In some cases, they were maybe a row behind. But then I had other people, like they sent me their tickets so I could look at them. Some people were in like different parts of the stadium on different levels. And it's kind of hard to comprehend how that could even happen. Um, FIFA hasn't been super forthcoming about any of this. Um, They haven't really told me very much. Um, But I think the good news is that because of me and, you know, the Associated Press, the New York Times, other outlets really flagging this issue to FIFA and sort of, you know, putting a spotlight on it. I think FIFA is trying to address it, which, expectations are so low for FIFA that uh, it's good to see that they're actually doing something because, you know, I really didn't expect they would, but it's crazy. Their initial response for, you know, the fans who bought these split up tickets was try to trade seats in France and it's a World Cup. People are going to be speaking all different languages. That was crazy. So it's good to see that they are addressing it, although we still have to wait and see Ultimately, what that resolution is
1: now as a, as someone who has covered the u s. women's national team extensively, what are your thoughts on the team in terms of the roster that Jalil has selected, and do you have them repeating as champions?
0: Well, I'll start with the second part of your question, which um, I think it's really hard to repeat. It's happened once on the women's side, twice on the men's side. It's just not an easy thing to do. And I think the way that this particular draw went out for the World Cup uh, in France is that the U.S. got kind of a difficult path. They, If things go the way we expect, they may have to face Germany or France in the quarterfinal. Mm-hmm. Those are like probably two of the top teams that the U.S. does not want to have to face. Right. So that could be very difficult. But I will say I think this is player for player. When the starting 11 is playing well and clicking, this is as good as any US team that the program has ever had. I think the problem is that the rest of the world is the best that they have ever been as well. So I think Jill Ellis made some interesting choices. I'm not so concerned about the starting 11. I think that, you know, like I said, the talent level is there it's the depth that I think is a little concerning. And what we see in World Cups is that sometimes depth really is the deciding factor. I mean, it's a tournament, it's a knockout uh, circumstance where anything can happen. You can have injuries, you can have yellow card accumulation, you can have red cards, um, players getting sick. I mean, whatever it is, anything can happen. And there are certain positions where the U S really lacks depth. I mean, Crystal Dunn is the starting left back. There's really no other left back on this roster as constructed, which, you know, really surprised me um, that a player like Casey Short, who had been called into essentially every camp over the last two years, when push came to shove, she was cut from the team, and she was the only other backup left back that actually plays that position. So there are some depth concerns, but – I mean, the talent is there. So if things go right and the U.S. gets a little lucky, it shouldn't be a problem. But if things don't go right and they get a little unlucky, um, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what Jill Ellis has to do to shuffle things around.
1: And you, and you definitely mentioned that, that depth, that lack of depth at the back. Talk more about the inclusion of Allie Krieger, and do you think she's going to see the pitch at all?
0: Yeah, That I mean, that was another roster decision that really surprised me Um, because at right back Kelly O'Hara is the starting right back and then her backup over the last you know couple years at this point has been Emily Sonnet Uh, she plays as a center back for the Portland Thorns but um, she can play right back and then adding Allie Krieger is kind of a luxury uh, substitute at this point because there are certain positions that are then um you know left back being one of them um it was interesting allie krieger had not been called into the team for a solid two years she was not even on the radar for jill ellis and the national team and then right at the last minute the very last squad that was called in before the roster was announced for the world cup allie krieger was in there and i don't expect her to see the field But I think that Jill Ellis called her in because she wants to value experience and people who have been at World Cups. I think that's probably why Casey Short, who I mentioned already, did not make it. Casey Short has never played in a major tournament before. And Jill Ellis seemed to really place a lot of value on having players who had been in World Cups before and players she knew would be able to stand up to that sort of pressure. So Allie Krieger may end up being more of, you know, a locker room player. All the players on the team really like her. Um, She does add a lot of veteran experience, so she can be uh, someone who's going to provide some leadership. Um, I would be surprised to see Allie Krieger play, but, you know, it is a World Cup. Anything can happen. Um, And Jill Ellis, I think, wouldn't put someone on the roster not expecting that they could play.
1: So I guess with, with that, um, explain what do you think the, the explanation is for the inclusion of someone like Morgan Bryan? Because, yes, experience, of course, plays a factor, and she's played in major tournaments, but in terms of her overall form that she's been in and trying to get back from injury, that just seemed like a move that didn't make a ton of sense.
0: Yeah, I think that the inclusion of Morgan Bryan was easily the most surprising decision of the roster, I certainly didn't expect it. I don't think anyone did. Uh, like you said, Morgan Bryan hasn't been in good form. She's dealt with a lot of injuries over the last couple of years. I think there have clearly been some confidence issues with her, and she was playing so poorly before the roster was announced that I think everyone just sort of assumed that, you know, she she missed her chance. She's she's not going to the 2019 Women's World Cup. So her inclusion was definitely very surprising. Jill Ellis was asked about that, and she, she said, I, kind of paraphrasing, but the quote as close as I remember it is, I've seen Mo in a World Cup. I've seen her in that pressure cooker. And it really is just kind of about going to the players that Jill Ellis trusts, the players that Jill Ellis has seen navigate difficult situations and in 2015 Morgan Bryan was the youngest player on the roster she was not really expected to play a big role and then when Lauren Holiday was suspended because she accumulated too many yellow cards Morgan Bryan was asked to play a defensive midfielder role and that really changed the trajectory of the World Cup for the U.S. because with Morgan Bryan in that role Carly Lloyd was free to just focus on being an attacker and scoring goals and, you know, doing what Carly Lloyd does. So Morgan Bryan is sort of the unsung hero of the 2015 Women's World Cup. And I think that gave her a lot of credibility in Jill Ellis's mind where Jill Ellis has decided to value what happened in 2015 more than she's valuing what Morgan Bryan has gone through over the last year or two. So it definitely is interesting that um, when push came to shove, Jill Ellis just wanted to stick with players who were familiar to her.
1: Yeah, totally agree with that. Sometimes when managers uh, tend to fall in love with the player and you know what they're about, you know what you're getting, you're going to go with what you know and what you trust. Yeah. Yeah, shifting our focus from the United States, you're going to be in France for, for the month. Have you circled your calendar for any marquee matches that you're going to be seeing in particular?
0: Well, I'm going to be following the U.S. around, so I'm probably only going to be able to go to U.S. games, but it's that quarterfinal because, you know, like I said, it will probably be France or Germany against the U.S. Mm -hmm. For it to not be France or Germany, that would mean that France or Germany would have to not win their groups and Some things would have to go sort of unexpectedly. And I have a hard time when I look at the level of talent in some of these groups, I have a hard time imagining France or Germany not being able to win their groups. Mm -hmm. And that just creates a quarterfinal that is as good as a final on paper. So everyone should be kind of keeping an eye on that.
1: Yeah, it's going to be such a great matchup. And then you're looking at potentially England in a semifinal if they can make their way past the quarterfinal. So, yeah, this is going to be a, a fun, fun tournament. Um, mm-hmm. Now, in terms of the overall women's game, what more do you think we could all be doing to make sure it continues to grow at the rate that it's been growing mm-hmm. and to make sure we get on this level playing field to, to the men's game?
0: Yeah, I think that in this country, so much of the focus is on the national team and supporting the U.S. women's national team. And look, I just wrote a book about the national team. So, um, you know, I understand that. But something I talk about in my book that conceivably I really could have just not included, but I thought was important, was I wrote about the WUSA, WPS, and the NWSL, the club game is so important. And I feel like that's sort of a neglected part. When people think about supporting women's soccer, they often think about just supporting the national team. When in reality, it's really the club game and having a domestic league that is strong and growing and providing a place for women to make a living playing soccer. That's really where I think things need to go. And, you know, from... A U.S. dominance perspective and, you know, an international World Cup perspective, it is a concern for the U.S. to see that the leagues around the world are growing and other countries are embracing women's soccer in a way that they hadn't before. You know, in England, they just got Barclays as a sponsor for their top flight women's league and Barclays is pouring money into it. Um, Visa is a sponsor for Lyon in France. There's all this money being thrown into the women's game abroad, and we've seen huge crowds, record-setting crowds in Europe. I think that the U.S. really needs to keep up on that side of things. It's not so much the national team. It's more about how can the U.S. continue to grow the club game. So for, you know, people listening who want to make sure that women's soccer is continuing to grow, I really think it's about, NWSL, support your local NWSL team, go to games, watch the games, um, you know, online or on TV or wherever they are, support the league because, you know, the women's national team needs your support. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But I think the hurdle is getting that sort of support to translate to the club game.
1: And so one final question, where can people uh, by the book, what different mediums can they go to get it?
0: Yeah, the book, uh, the national team, if you just search for the national team, Caitlin Murray, or the national team, the inside story of the women who changed soccer, it is on Amazon. It's also available in most Barnes and Noble locations across the country. And if you want to buy it somewhere else, or you need more information, you can just go to uswntbook.com. That stands for U.S. Women's National Team. So uswntbook.com has all the links and information. Again, that was Caitlin Murray, one of the best journalists in the business
1: right now. And if you haven't read the book, you absolutely should. Truly nothing encompasses the entire history of the United States Women's National Team more than this piece of literature. I mean, it is as comprehensive and as detailed. She has really done her due diligence and her research in order to get the amount of information that she has gotten to really put a, a story and, and really put you into the scene of what it's been like from when it first started in the 80s till, till now. So it's definitely a book, again, to go check out and read. I found it very interesting how one of the things from her book that I've noticed is how back in 1999, Eric Winalda had famously said, you know, the men had embarrassed themselves at the 98 World Cup in France, and it was up to the women to save it, to save U.S. soccer. And I can't help but think, like, after the United States men not even managing to qualify for France 2018, could it be a similar predicament? Now, not in terms of saving, like it's going to, you know, be gone or anything, but just to save face at this point, to help our reputation. Like, there's so much riding on these women getting it done because they are the best and they've been the best for so long in this team. Oh, man, what more can you say? So it's time now. And and this book just really makes you so nostalgic and gets you so excited about the national team and just the overall just pride of being an American and being able to watch this team go on this journey in, in hopes of greatness. So we will see how this goes, how this tournament unfolds. But definitely go check it out. The National Team by Caitlin Murray. Hundreds of interviews, hundreds of nuggets of information while telling an overall arching kind of story, an overall arc of the history of the Soccer Federation on the women's side. Tremendous book. Go check it out. Okay, so right before the World Cup started, the NWSL closed up one final window before they kind of have this small break themselves before next weekend they 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 kick back off but one of the major three lines as we go down the games that that we missed the utah royals losing to the washington spirit so the washington spirit are truly at the top of the table now talk about a perfect start to the season for this washington team ashley hatch got off the scoring early with a nice finish from a tough angle dorian bailey opened her goal scoring account in the nwsl more importantly They shut down Amy Rodriguez. Aubrey Bledsoe was great again. They get a clean sheet. What can you say about this spirit team? Staub and Nielsen seem to have a great pair going on. And if they're scoring and they're passing the ball and doing everything right, they're going to be a tough team to beat. Especially when the teams come back next week and when the players come back after the World Cup. If They continue to rack up points this way. They've got a great opportunity to make this top four and actually make a run at this, which would be unthinkable at one point, right? It doesn't even seem real, but it but it's possible. And and that's what makes this league so fun. Hopefully we'll see if the spirit can keep this up. 2-0 looked mighty impressive. They're top right now. Can't say enough about what Richie Burke has done with the team. And yeah, that's gonna be a fun team to monitor as the season moves on. Next up, the Courage bounced back in a big way against lowly Orlando that is not showing any sign of of turning it around anytime soon. Kristen Hamilton recorded her first career hat-trick, and wow, she looked great. Two of her goals, she looked like a true, true striker that was full of confidence. A nice fake to beat multiple defenders, kind of like a fake layoff and, and... And turned to set her up for a shot to go off crossbar and post. Talk about accuracy. And then the second one was a well-timed half volley with the instep on the cross. Two finishes that quick chances. It's almost instinct. You don't even have to think about them. And she executed to perfection quality from Hamilton to get the courage back on track. A much needed three points in a dominant victory. So they're back on track. Not too worried about them. I think they'll be fine. Next up was the rain versus the Houston dash ended in a 1 1 draw. Bethany Balser continues to be an impact player for rain FC. Three goals now common composed finish on this one finding herself in behind the defense time to run to perfection can't really ask for much more from her and it and it looks like she's just going to be a lot more than a one week wonder could she be at least for this season a, a, a player to continually make an impact for Rain FC Christine nairn able to salvage a draw late on and it, and it was deserved Houston were playing really well and putting pressure on Rain FC the entire match but Christine Nairn, what an acquisition by James Clarkson to get her here. And she just salvaged them a point because the rain were going to take three from them. And Nairn made sure it was 1-1. A very technical finish. Again, a a game that Seattle almost kind of stole from Houston. But it, it didn't go their way. So interesting result there between two teams fighting in the middle. And, and still Seattle haven't exactly defended their new stadium in, in the manner that they would have hoped in terms of their overall results, but things will start to change there. Same in Houston, they've, they've been really been up and down. It's the parity in the league has been out of control. So it's it's, it's been so much fun to, to keep an eye on and monitor. Once next week, again, we're back. So it's interesting to see how, as the World Cup is going on simultaneously, this will impact the results in this league as well. Right, the last matchup from that weekend. Portland against Chicago. Portland Thorns winning 3 0 over Chicago, emphatically. You know, the Red Stars really did look depleted with all of their star players gone. And we've talked about the overall depth of this team many times and how they still have enough talent to win. And it's looked like that they have. They just looked depleted and just fatigued against a Portland Thorns team that looked fresh. Simone Charlie again making life difficult, driving at defenders with her pace and her dribbling. Midge Purse looks like a stone-cold killer out there with her finishing combo play with Charlie. This is a nice win for Portland to be able to bounce back, and Chicago has some work to do. They'll make the proper adjustments with a time off, but it's very clear, similar to Rain FC, Portland has found a lineup that they like. Mark Parsons has found a lineup that he really enjoys, that he likes his chances with this squad out on the pitch when all their stars are gone. And it seems to finally be working to beat a Red Stars team like this 3-0. Very, very impressive. So we'll see if Portland can, can keep that momentum going next weekend. And now, word from our second sponsor, Topical Gear. Topical Gear was formed in 2011 by a team of professionals from the orthopedic sports medicine field. Collectively, this team has over two centuries of knowledge in athletic training, biomechanics, product development, manufacturing, sports medicine, arthroscopy, and the pioneering of products in the sports medicine market. Their team is constantly on the field or in the gym getting feedback directly from parents, players, coaches, and athletic trainers as part of their continuing effort to develop products that help increase female athletes' performance while keeping them healthy. All of their products are backed by professional published research and tested by real athletes at both the high school and college level. All you soccer players, parents, and other athletes out there, go to www.CompressionInMotion.com and check out the T25 Knee along with other shoulder and ankle products. All right, we move to the end portion of our show, social media and lifestyle section. A couple things going on in the world of soccer. Of course, Gianni Infantino re-elected as the president of FIFA. Um, Without much of a fuss, no one to really contest him, but he's in the news, of course, for a hilarious corner kick video of him taking one, and it's awful. Please check that out if you're looking for some entertainment. It's, It's everywhere all over the internet, I'm sure, so you can find it. But also, he's really making an effort to talk about empowering women with his overall speech and messages, especially, at least over the first two days, which is, in some aspects, is a good thing, considering the last president, Seth Blatter, made all types of sexist comments towards women. That's a whole other thing for a whole other day. He's gone. Don't even want to think about him. That's fine. But hopefully this is a step in the right direction to, to continuing this... Um, and hopefully it's something he continues for the rest of the tournament as well as this overall sport continues to grow. The, the overall atmosphere and that has been tremendous, this tournament. It has been amazing, especially that first game, you know, France against South Korea. Oh my God, it was loud. It looked great out there. It sounded great out there. It's been an amazing start so far. So hopefully it stays this way the rest of the tournament so far so good okay so we have an article on our website about an organization called common goal and how two very important female athletes have joined that initiative in order to help players give back here's a piece of the article that one of our writers Lindsay, has written about common goal common goal shows that giving back starts at the top with players and other industry professionals committing to pledge one percent of their earnings to a central fund that is then allocated to high-impact organizations that harness the power of soccer to advance the United Nations' global goals, which include quality education, good health and well-being, gender equality, decent work, and economic growth, reduced inequalities, peace, justice, strong institutions, and more. Formed under two years ago and the creation of Street Football World, along with Juan Mata's organization common goal has already raised close to 1.3 million dollars and the ladies recently got in on the action earlier this year as i mentioned those two famous players are alex morgan and megan Rapino, who became the first u.s and female players to support the organization they are part of the organization's founding members and in an interview with forbes alex morgan said we demand the same amount of respect as men. We demand the same treatment that the men get. So we felt like it was our duty to represent women on this platform and to be able to use football to tackle some of the greatest social challenges facing the world today. Amazing stuff. Just one of the many reasons why we need to continue to push this as, as much as we possibly can and why they are so good at putting themselves in the limelight as best as they possibly can. I mentioned on the last episode, Re-Ink, with Megan Rapino, Megan Kligenberg, Kristen Press, and Tobin Heath, their kind of gender-neutral apparel brand, which is what that is, is their idea and their take on culture, and they're going to try and make an impact that way. So you have the lawsuit, you have foundations and initiatives like Common Goal, you have um, what they're doing in their personal lives as entrepreneurs. I mean, there's so much going on in the world of women's soccer. It's so amazing what these athletes are doing to help grow and expand and really kind of branch out and do their own thing and use their influence to influence culture. And that's what we want, to, to be in a new era. And I think that's what's so cool about this whole process. And hopefully, as the United States women keep winning, a culture change will continue to occur as, as the tournament goes on, as they continue to win. So hopefully, it continues to stay that way as, as the tournament moves on. One final thing, it's major. I did mention it at the very beginning of the show. Get Mental with Yael Averbuke. Girls Soccer Network, it's a new series. We're teaming up with her. It is such an awesome opportunity. It's called Get Mental with Yael. It's about looking at the game from a psychological level. There are so many times on the field and in life that are challenging and confusing. Yeah, Yael speaks to those moments of confrontation and sound bites that come from her experience as a player and human, always trying to better herself. That is some key content, guys. Like, you want to talk about some critical content for improving yourself, not just physically, but mentally, spiritually, every aspect. That is such an important component to this. I've said it time and time again. If you are not right mentally, you will not be able to perform physically. And so, to have that series with Yael, again, check, us out, check it out. Facebook, YouTube for sure. Go to the YouTube page. Search Girls Soccer Network. You will find us. Go check it out. But hey, that is all from me. I am your host, Rotas Wadera. That is episode 21 of Give and Go. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. Again, guys, check us out at www.girlssoccernetwork.com. At Girls Soccer Network on Instagram and at Girls Soccer Net on Twitter. It's been a crazy, crazy episode, guys. So much we've talked about with the World Cup. Enjoy the rest of it. We'll be back for the knockout stages. Peace, guys. Enjoy.